Matthew, and let's read it. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Am I on? Can you hear me? Yes? This is yes, this is no. Okay, all right, cool. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Later in the story, everyone starts doing it, right? Stephen shows up and as a deacon and starts doing signs and wonders. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad, generous hearts. Amen. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is God's word. Last Sunday, uh, we started looking at the the lifestyle of believers post, uh, after Christ's resurrection, and his ascension, and his sending of the Spirit, and um, Peter's proclamation that Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by, by God with mighty works and wonders through God that he did in your midst was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God was delivered up in this way. He was crucified. He was killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I would have loved to have been there for Peter to say that. Therefore, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that happened. After that happened, we get the account of Acts 2, 42 through 47, uh, and the rest of the book. We get devotion, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers, all that stuff. And and so last week, we kind of want to say, That's a different thing than um, baseball games and sewing and calf fries. All things we love, I just don't want us to confuse that with this. We looked at our fellowship uh, and how the fellowship of believers is to mirror the fellowship of believers to the Son, where we live with Christ and we die with Christ and we suffer with Christ and we will resurrect with Christ and reign with Christ on the earth. And so when we think about fellowship... Calf fries are fine, but more than that, we want to think resurrecting and reigning on the earth for eternity with one another, okay? All right. Again, nothing against calf fries. If you have them, I will eat them. Okay. So, um, the depth of fellowship, that's what we looked at. Okay, so last week, I just kind of want to give a general call to fellowship, and this week, I want to offer some um, practicality as to how we might do that. I get to this fellowship that Acts um, 2, 42 through 47 calls us um, to what we're calling house-to-house group. So we're going to follow the same pattern as last week and walk through devotion and fellowship and the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and prayer and then give some practical application and then hopefully some urgency as to why this needs to happen and then do what we do every Sunday is gather wood and ask the Spirit to blow on it and, and set it ablaze. Okay, so can we just gather wood for a little bit? Okay, all right, verse 42, they devoted themselves. It's the first thing we're aiming for in our house-to-house groups, okay? To take, actually, I have the slides in um, the sermon template there. 
if um, you have those. That's the first thing we're aiming for in house-to-house groups, okay? To take this larger gathering of people, people that we have devoted ourselves to, but not kid ourselves, okay? Into thinking that you can be devoted to 60 people uh, in a day-to-day kind of way that you could be with 10 people, okay? You don't have that kind of bandwidth. If you do, um, you know, you're, you're very, you're very impressive person. Most of us don't, okay? But I do think that we can be devoted to five or ten people in a daily kind of way. This kind of fellowship that the Bible talks about. And so the first idea in house to house is making space to get to know one another in our homes because who you really are generally is who you are in your home. Okay? Um, you guys might not know this. I was in Pastor Derek's home a lot, and Monday was what day, Caleb? Underwear day. Underwear day. Okay? I mean, that's how close we were. I knew who he was in his home. Okay? And maybe I shouldn't have told you that. Um, my point is to say who you are at home is generally that's who you really are. Okay? Here, you, you're put together. you got cool hats on here. Okay? That, that's, that's we... we you know, I like nice and put together you. I think it's great. You guys smell good on Sunday. Maybe you don't smell good the rest of the week. I like you on these days, but biblical devotion is devotion to the, I had a terrible day at work and my life and my job and my marriage is all on the rocks and my kids won't stop screaming, bleeding, pooping, whatever you. I want us to be devoted to that you. To, to the worst version of you, churches and the believers in those churches want to be devoted to, oh, you've had the worst day ever. I'm coming to your house for dinner anyway. Yeah. You, see, you see, you're fine right now. I like you right now. I want us in our homes at, at our worst. That's, that's the real you. That's what we want. And so when we gather house to house, um, we go in to the home with a devoted mindset to these people with the hope that that same devotion is reciprocated, okay? Um, I, along with most human beings, I would guess, uh, um, uh, because of the fault, because of Genesis 3, am a people pleaser, okay? I, I want people to like me. You do too, I, okay? I want people to like me. Um, I want people to think that I have um, the answers. And so when our group started, we've been going a couple months um, I, it felt like a job to me because I, ha- I was still in I have to please people mode. And so Wednesdays meant a long work day because after, you know, my daily work tasks, um, my job, I have to keep up appearances for a few more hours at the Owens. Like, okay, if I can just keep my real face on or my fake face on for a little bit, uh, the evening will be great. After a couple months of doing this, I don't, I don't feel like that anymore, okay? I, I show up at the Owens or, or, or the Faiths or wherever just... Not in my underwear, but the real me, you know, I'm just like, hey, I, I'm I'm here because I know when I show up, these are people who are devoted to, to Josh as as Josh. If Josh had a, you know, one of those days that we talk about. OK, Tim Keller writes this when the gospel comes home, when believers no longer have to maintain their image as competent and righteous. It naturally breaks down barriers that impede relationships and leads to more authentic experiences of community with others. So I want that for every member of our body. Okay, I don't want one member in our church to not have that and experience that where not just the doors to our church, but the doors to our homes are open. And we hear, hey, come to me, all who are weary and need rest. 
when you walk in the door. Okay? So that, that's first. Devotion to one another and not put together one another. Okay? Because over time, you're going to come to someone's home and they're going to be messed up and you're going to eat dinner with them and talk about it. Sounds super fun. Um, so that's first, devotion to one another. So what do we do next in a house-to-house group? Guys, we feast. And it's fun. Acts verse 42, they devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. So good Bible-believing Christians, of which we are, we know that fasting is important to following Jesus. We don't do it, but we know it's important. But I also, I wonder if we understand that feasting is important to following Jesus. This is going to be, this is the most fun sermon I'll ever preach, okay? <laughs> feasting is important to following Jesus. Food is a gift from God. Genesis 2, 9. Out, out of the, the ground, the Lord made to spring up every tree and seed and fruit later that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. That's a gift from God to Adam and Eve. Hey, eat this stuff. Enjoy this stuff. It's all wonderful. After the flood, God then compels humanity to barbecue. Genesis 9.3. What? Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. Guys, and, and good gravy. Where does Jesus spill the beans? about the new covenant about to happen over a meal, right? The most important, you know, like aspect of the Old Testament that's coming into to the New Testament story, Jesus is going to share that over a meal. God actually ends the whole story, right? You, you know, history's going somewhere at a big feast, right? The, the, the wedding supper of the lamb, well-aged wine, fatty meats, all of us around the table, Jesus serving us. I'm banking on some of Brahms eggnog on that day like it's going to be a wonderful feast so at our house to house groups as a picture of that day of that wedding feast as a as a, a first fruits now of, of that day then we feast okay so try and get in the house with good cooks what i'm telling you <laughs> so we and we enjoy the feast okay so it says day by day attending the temple together so we're still doing this and we're breaking bread in our homes. They received their food sadly. No, with glad, generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. Psalm 127 says, man shall not eat the, the bread of sorrow, but you should eat your bread with joy. So as we're eating, we're laughing and smiling. And the, and the person with the bad day, we're just like, <laughs> enjoy it. Okay, so at our tables, uh, at house to house. We want those to have a festive quality to them. Okay, we're having meals with people who are going to live forever. That's really cool. So as we are sojourning in this present time, walking through it, our meals together, they act as God's nourishing and sustaining us on our walk. Okay, like literally, physically nourishing us, but, but spiritually, okay? Getting us ready. Um, Bonhoeffer writes in Life Together... And this is pretty funny, actually. He says, God cannot endure the unfestive, mirthless attitudes of ours in which we eat our bread in sorrow with pretentious, busy haste or even with shame. Through our daily meals, he is calling us to rejoice, to keep holiday in the midst of our working day. So, yeah, so that portion of, of the evening is simply to enjoy what God has provided with one another. 
Okay? Like hobbits. This is what hobbits do all the time. So I want every member of our body to have that experience week in and week out around a table with other believers who are devoted to them eating food. Jesus is incredibly practical. Okay? Um, after we eat, we move into prayer and song. They devoted themselves to the prayers. So I'm not going to deal with the singing aspect as much this morning, though. I will say this. Singing is far more important to your discipleship than you probably think. Okay? Um, just read through your Bible in a year and note how many times the Lord is commanding us to sing. Or it's just assumed that Christians are singing. Nobody sings like the Christians. Okay? No other religion makes music over their faith like we do. Because ours is the best, but it's, it's part of, of being a disciple. Okay, But then we pray. Okay, So at our house, we pray before the meal. Our house has several um, little children in it, so we usually ask them to pray for our meal. And we pray for other stuff and not always the meal at that time. Which is uh, it, funny, but after dinner, we pray for one another. Okay, I was talking about that last week with and for one another. And so when we started, uh, we'd start doing this and, you know, the adults would pray. And then we'd intentionally ask a child like, hey, uh, Lindley, will you pray? And then Lindley would pray. Well, after we've been doing this a couple months, now when we move into that prayer time of the evening, the adults are praying and the kids are now praying unprompted. Just because they know it's it's conditioned into their brain. Oh, the people are over here. The adults are praying. I'm praying. Okay, so it's not like the kids aren't part of what's going on in the home as we're devoted to one another and food and now prayers. Okay, so the spirit compels us to pray and then responds to those prayers um, and to experience that in a large group or a small group is one of God's great kindnesses ever given to us. And I want every member of our church to experience that week in and week out. Okay? We pray together. Next, the apostles' teaching. This is what they are devoted to. So one way this plays out in a group is through discussing the scriptures. Won't go through it again, but the the apostles' teaching from last week, from the passage that we were in the previous Sunday. Okay? So I am committed to, my, my charge from the Lord to you is to preach God's word. So sometimes we, we jump around and do the Bible topically, but what Christians need more than, than some idea about how to interpret the latest news is God's word. You need God's word heralded line by line, book by book. Everything that you need, everything that we need, everything I need to follow Jesus faithfully, to be reproved or rebuked or exhorted is found in these pages, and that's why I, I preach the way that I do. Because I know you need God's word. The man's not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. So hopefully, during the week, we we hear the word Sunday. Hopefully, maybe, you thought about it Monday, and you thought about it Tuesday. And then Wednesday night, when we get together, we discuss the passage we were in and, and ask, how can we love this word more fully? And then how can we obey this word? How can I not just hear a sermon, uh, but how can I actually obey the Jesus that inspired these words and and then share joy in in God's words? So finally, the goal of all of this, the goal of devotion and food and praying and discussing God's word um, is fellowship. And I tried to lay out fellowship last week. Over time, not quickly, nothing in Christianity is quick. Okay, I just think it's really important you know that (laughs) nothing in this is quick over time these basic means of grace 
when done unto the Lord and done with reliance on the Spirit, I believe will form true, actual fellowship. Will form actual, real, true bonds between believers. Fellowship that knows I'm going to live with you and die with you. That I'm going to uh, suffer with you. That I'm going to resurrect with you and I'm going to reign with you. And like I said last week, 90 minutes on Sunday, it's part of that. But if we want to bear the full weight of fellowship that the Bible's calling us to, it, it's got to move house to house. I don't think it's an accident that, that when they're describing the, the birth of these uh, believing communities that they make a point to say they went house to house. And they were at the church in this house and the church in this house and on and on and on, okay? 90 minutes on Sunday can't do that. But sitting around a dinner table... Singing and praying, talking through the scriptures, taking out the trash, cleaning out the garbage disposal, those kinds of things over a period of months and years and decades, that will nurture true fellowship. And some of you, you, you older members, you've experienced that with believers. Like you, you have that going on. It's wonderful. Okay. So what are practical implications of this? There's a bunch. I just want to finish with, with five. Okay. First, by embracing uh, house to house, we are first primed for persecution and pandemic, okay? You know how much better I would have slept in March if I'd known that, okay, we can't meet with 100, but we can meet with 5 to 10 in homes. And I know in these homes, the people in these homes are going to be devoted to one another and caring for one another, and sharing meals together, and praying together, and working through the scriptures together, and Jesus is building his church regardless of what I'm doing this week. I would have slept a lot better knowing that. Instead, when March happened, I was still held captive to a 90-minute on Sunday model, and we worked our tails off to produce videos. I I hope the videos were helpful, you know, (laughs) but... I'm grateful for that. I believe the Lord used those. But you see why it's urgent that we have something like this in place before the next, before the next you know, shutdown of, of the world? Okay? Um, or, based on church history, that we have this in place before persecution comes. Okay? Now, if you know me and have talked with me some, you know I am the last guy to drop um, the P word in regards to the American church. Okay, I, I cringe. I cringe. It's nails on a chalkboard to me when Americans complain about persecution from our tax-free, air-conditioned buildings with services broadcasted on the internet for free. It's hard for me to take you seriously. We're not persecuted. But based on church history and, and based on what I believe Scripture teaches, we very well could be. Okay, Very well could be. And in that instance, we'd be forced to meet in smaller groups. Okay, to an extreme level, maybe in secret. And I would prefer that we have a mechanism and model in place before that happens rather than than scrambling afterwards to figure it out. Okay, so that's first. It primes us for pandemic or persecution. And if I was a good Baptist preacher, I have a third P there. I don't. So primed for discipleship is, is second. Okay, this is what house to house can help us with. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is just helping someone else follow Jesus. You follow the lamb, take someone with you. Don't don't complicate that. Um, so how does that happen though? How do we make disciples? Well, through Christian fellowship over decades, we're following Jesus is caught and it is taught. All right? So 
First, think about what this means in regards to it being caught. Um, Kale, you're always the example I use when I tell this. Because you usually sit next to Joe, that's why. Um, So imagine, what kind of man would Kale Denton be if for the first 18 years of his life, he was sitting next to Joe on Sunday, singing and praying and and communing and hearing the word preached. and, And every Sunday for 18 years, that's happening to Kale. And... Every Wednesday for 18 years, Kale is sitting across from Joe over a plate of lasagna, singing and praying and discussing the scriptures. Do you think after 18 years of that, Kale would have a crystal clear idea of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. That's caught. That's just, that's, that's how it works. That's how discipleship works. So now think about what it means in regards to being taught. Discipleship always involves word ministry, okay? There's a fake quote on the internet. It's, real, it's fake. Please don't say it or regurgitate it or share it or anything like that that says preach the gospel if necessary, use words, and they attribute it to Frank, St. Francis. He never said that, and he wouldn't say that. Okay, the gospel entails words. It's like take a, take a bath, but don't use water. Like A bath is water, okay? The gospel is words. Anyway... Discipleship involves word ministry. So so all through the New Testament, I'll quote all the scriptures here, all through the New Testament, it calls Christians to instruct one another, to to speak the truth to one another, to teach and admonish one another with the wisdom of Christ's word, and to stir up one another to love and good works. So what do we need to grow? What do we need to mature to be Christians? We need God's word and other Christians spurring us on to follow Jesus in light of that word, okay? Okay. So what we want to see in house to house, we want it to be normal for younger Christians to discuss the word and, 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 uh, you know, and all that it entails over meals with older Christians. I just, again, Kale, I just think about, man, what if Kale was having lasagna with Joe every night talking about whatever we're in? Okay, for, for younger Christians to spend time in older Christians' homes and to see them apply their faith in every area of life. Guys, the, the benefits to that, the long-term benefits to that are unimaginable, okay? So unless you, and, and here's why I say this can happen in homes better, is that unless you've spent a considerable amount of time with someone doing mundane things like gathering and, and eating, it's unlikely that you're able to have a real Jesus conversation um, with one another, okay? It's just, um, and there, there's even... Science to this, they've, they've charted out how many hours of doing nothing together people have to have before they'll actually talk about anything real. Anyway, um, so these environments that hopefully are happening in house to house, are they make way for true fellowship around, around the word to happen more naturally. Okay, so just the example that um, I'll use, Stoney married in, how long have you guys been married? A while. They've been married a while. <laughs> So I've I've known Stony yeah I've known Stony uh, a, a long time and uh, our family started ha- so the only people more introverted than me and Sierra are Allie and Stony okay so we had to force ourselves maybe Ray yeah so we had to force ourselves like okay we need to be friends and hang out so we did that for like a year and we've been doing that since then well now we've got all that nothing time under our belts now it's just normal for Stony and I to be texting about the word. Be talking about Jesus when we see each other. Like Sierra's like annoyed by it. You guys talk about something else, you know? 
well, we have all that nothing time under our belt, so now it's just normal to step into talking about discipling things, to, to following Jesus' things. That's what I want to happen with the homes. We're just normal that the members of Christian Life Church are just discussing the word. And, and so when you see each other at Mary's, you're doing it. When you see each other at the football game and people in the community are like, yeah, that church, they're always talking about Jesus because it's normal. Okay. Anyway. Third, this primes us for evangelism. Okay. So we want to, after we have a solid house, I don't know what solid means, you know, when you see it. Um, we want to, after that, that home has their routine and the, and the kids are, are comfortable with the gathering and you're starting to see fruit in these kinds of things. I want us to invite unbelievers to come into that home for a seat at our dinner table in our living rooms to get a front row seat to see how Christians love one another and care for one another and how they apply the gospel to their daily lives. Okay. That's easy because you're already going to eat dinner. Now you're inviting this family that doesn't believe into that. To see it, okay? I say this generally. Maybe your experience has been different. People are more likely to come over for dinner than to wake up early on Sunday to sing to a God they don't love and listen to a sermon about a God they don't know. Just generally. I I think that by having these kind of groups in place, it can be a massive catalyst for sharing the gospel with people who don't know God nor his gospel. And we're going to do it over a meal, you know, like Jesus did. Fourth, we're primed for multiplication. Last, this last thing I'll say on this. This primes us to multiply, which has been what Jesus always called us to do. Um, so I'm going to read a letter now, a portion of a letter, from a leader in the fastest growing church in the world um, in Iran. Who has no buildings. Okay, who in a land where Christianity is not welcome? Okay, um, it would be considered a closed country. Do you know what a closed country is? There's really no no such thing as a closed country. A closed country is just a country where it's harder to share the gospel the second time. They, they caught you the first time. So if you can just hear this from from a. A leader in Iran. He says, I've spent so many days and nights this year on Zoom with pastors and leaders in America who are all understandably caught off guard by the gathering restrictions imposed as governments have grappled how to respond to COVID-19. Why? Because their models and strategies rely entirely on Sunday morning services. So what do you do when you lose your main and plane? And could it be that God has a purpose for pushing everyone out of the building for a year? When communities with disciples first began to form, we saw the body gather and function in two expressions, corporate public meetings and small house fellowships, both every day in the temple and house to house. They did not cease preaching or teaching. It happened in Jerusalem. It happened in Ephesus. It happened throughout the Roman Empire as Paul traveled to preach the gospel and make disciples. No one had to choose between the two. It was never one or the other, at least. It never needed to be. Um, I know we saw some expressions of house churches that made us uncomfortable 10 to 20 years ago. So if you don't know, that's the emergent movement. It was a bad deal. Uh, You'll never hear about it again because it wasn't built on the Bible. It's gone. We forgot it. Anyway, but it is possible to pursue a network of house fellowships while remaining doctrinally faithful. And I would say it's even necessary because you know what isn't highly reproducible? Massive buildings with sky-high overhead costs and property fees. 
And what if God wants to bring so many Americans into the kingdom, we literally don't have space for them in our buildings? What if you need to craft infrastructure to hold that kind of a holy movement? Guys, if the Lord gave us Pentecost today, can't handle it here. We all want revival, but let me ask you this. What would you do if revival hit your town tonight? Does your church know how to respond to 3,000 messy, snot-nosed, newborn disciples all at once? No, we do not. Or 500 new believers? No, we do not. Do you know how to handle that kind of intake? Here's what's comforting. that The author writes this. Neither did the disciples. They spent a few years following Jesus around, watching his strategies, watching how he responded to people suddenly confronted with or in awe of the beauty of his name. They watched how heavily he relied on his father, and they saw when he made counterintuitive decisions that violated convention, and they learned how to discern where the wind was blowing and respond accordingly. So, that's cool. Seriously, the, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Now, as an, as an American in an established church, I want to pray for a fast-growing movement like that for um, foundation and things that will last a long time. Okay, that, that, will, that they're making disciples that grow roots and are still disciples in 10 years. But what, I, what I've tried to do the last two weeks is just plant a, a, a seed. Okay, I, I'm not demanding or, or thinking or, or planning on us jumping into house churches and just waving so long to our corporate gathering. The earlier church didn't do that. They met in the temple and house to house. Okay. But I do want us to come to grips with the fact that our gatherings were stopped for a time. Okay? Whether we handled, handled that correctly or not, you know, time will tell. But for 10 weeks, we, we didn't get to do this. Um, and we were unprepared for it like a deer in the headlights. I mean, if you saw our first service, it was pretty funny. Reese front, walking behind the camera and coming back. I mean, it was... And that, that, starts, um, that starts with our elders. But, guys, we are fools if we think it can't happen again and are therefore unprepared for it. Okay? Fool me once. You know, shame on you. Fool me twice. That's on us. Okay? We don't want to be foolish. We want to be wise. We want to be ready for whatever the Lord has next, be that prosperity or poverty. Guys, you know, I, you know if the Lord gives us that building, you know, like next month, awesome. If something horrible happens and that doesn't happen, I want to be prepared either way. I want to be prepared whether the Lord gives dominion or, or, or persecution. Whatever comes, Lord, we want to be ready for that day. Because at the end of the day, our main job here is to make disciples so Jesus is worshipped in Tonkwa and the nations. And I just think that by decentralizing some of our strategy, we're better set up to succeed in that task. So here's how I want to end today. First, like I said last week, we don't have all this figured out yet, or even like 1% figured out. It's not even something like the elders have had time to sit down and talk through yet, because we're talking through other stuff right now. Um, and if you know me, you know I don't like to do anything unless I already have it on an Excel sheet. I just don't even believe it. I believe Excel is, is you know, almost inspired. Like this, and then, and, and we don't have that. Um, so that's first. We don't have it all figured out yet. I'm not putting a burden on you that I... You know, I'm not carrying myself. That being said, if this is compelling to you, if you think, hmm, yeah, 
see how that could help make disciples. I see how that could help us evangelize. I see how that could help give us real fellowship. And, and you want to start a house-to-house group and, and kind of help lead that, and we will help you with that. Or you just want to open your home to, like, I'm not going to lead anything, but i got a big living room. Um, let me know, and we'll help organize and get that going. And then the last thing to close today is that I want to invite Helen up right now. Uh, they're going to start a group this week, and she's going to kind of tell you some of that.